Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Hello, everybody. It is November the 10th. We get lots of strange requests and not so strange requests for uh, guests on this show. One guy keeps on writing in and saying, why don't you have Julia Roberts on the show? <laughs> and so, of course, I, uh, I contacted Julia Rod- Roberts's uh, people and they said, well, Julia may not have time for you. But we have someone even better, even more authentic than Julian, uh, Julia Roberts, actually the, the original Julia Roberts we have on the show. And her name, of course, is Erin Brockovich, the real Erin Brockovich, not the fictional one. Erin uh, has a new book out, really interesting and important book that we're going to get to, Superman's Not Coming, Our National Water Crisis and What We, the People, Can Do About It. But Erin, at the beginning of the book, uh, you almost shyly admit, I'm not sure if you're capable of sh- genuine shyness, but you fake a little bit of shyness and say, well, I've become a noun. Erin Brockovich, now there are Erin Brockovich is all over the world. How does it feel, Erin, to be a noun? Was it a noun or a verb? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Noun, <laughs> verb, adverb. I think you're, you're, Adjective, I don't know what, you're uh, in the dictionary everywhere. You know, um, no, I'm not shy. Um, I tend to not let an ego run amok. So I've been more uncomfortable than anything with, you know, those kind of things. But you know, if the film or the work that I've done helps somebody else dig deep and find their courage and, and get involved in important issues, then I guess, you know what, it's kind of a cool thing. Good. I'll look at it that way. Well, you've definitely done a cool thing with this book. Um, Superman's not coming our national water crisis and what we, the people can do about it. Those images of Superman are probably inappropriate since supposedly he's not coming. Erin, uh, uh, we've had a number of conversations, different authors on this show talking about our current environmental crisis. Uh, we've had uh, books about the flooding of Miami, the broad book about the collapse of the earth. We've had this wonderful book from Hannah Tester, a teenage activist taking on the plastics crisis. We've had Scott Russell Sanders, The Way of Imagination, a very literary uh, take on on the crisis. And most recently, we had a book called The Contamination of the Earth, A History of Pollutions in the Industrial Age, which is a kind of broad overview uh, by a couple of French uh, academics who argue that we are now in between 1973 and 2020, we're charging headlong into the abyss. Now, Erin, your book is not academic. It's quite personal. It's a narrative and it's a polemic. But I think like those French authors, you seem to be suggesting that we are indeed charging into the abyss. Is that fair? Yes, I think, you know, we're definitely charging into 
a territory that we should have seen coming or we knew was coming, but for some reason we never wanted to get prepared. And I've always kind of wondered about that when we, you know, we're going to talk about climate change. I'm visual. I think most people are visual. So it's something they can't really see. So maybe it's not really tangible for them. And I try to get people to understand climate change is going to be a water event. So when you have mass floods, you see it, you experience it, you know it. When you have droughts, you experience it. When you have no water, you experience it. So water is a part of the climate that I think people don't think exists. You know, in the book, and I won't jump ahead here real quick, but to answer your question, we've seen it coming for a long time. And that's one thing we don't always like to do is get prepared. And I learned a long time ago, what's the worst if you're prepared? If it happens, you're prepared. If it doesn't, thank God, right? So we talk at the end of the book about Johannesburg, South Africa, that was going to run out of water. I think the whole globe saw that that was going to happen. Actually, uh, Aaron, I don't want to embarrass you publicly. Mm -hmm. uh, Probably but, be the first time. Go ahead. <laughs> but, and it's your book, but uh, the, you, you, you don't talk about Johannesburg. You talk about Cape Town as year zero. Of course, Cape Town is the coastal town in South Africa that you suggest now uh, where water is severely rationed. I'm sure it's happening in Johannesburg too. What, what is this year zero that you talk about? Well, there was a prediction and, you know, we have to look at long range water use. And so they were going to hit a day that we would literally have no water and the taps would stop. And the community, you know, began to ration and collectively work together to do what they had to, along with their leadership, to divert that scenario. And, and they did. And, you know, yesterday and where I was going to go here was <clears throat> I posted on Facebook a big article by quite a few academics that the state of Kansas, where I was born and raised, where everything I learned about water came from there, is 30% into their quote, unquote, day zero. You know, water is not always replenishable. Um, we have situations where aquifers are now so polluted we cannot use them. We have situations where in farm communities, it's being so overdrawn that the aquifers will be gone in 30 to 50 years. I think these are things that we should pay attention to. And that becomes a huge issue in of itself. So if we're going to talk about water, we have aquifer issues that are changing with climate change and droughts and disappearing. And we have pollution issues. And we also have issues on how we're handling the water at the municipal districts by adding things like ammonia that are creating other problems. So there's three key factors here with water. And I think it's really concerning. It's really hard for us to look out 30 to 50 years down the road. But even in the United States in certain places of Texas and now Kansas, they're not going to make that 30 years before they do run out of water. I think that's something we should pay attention to. Aaron, as you say, uh, you have a very visual imagination. And one of the things I really like about the book is, is how much you use movies. Uh, we'll come mm -hmm. on to, of course, the most famous Kansas movie of them all later in the show. Uh, but what you're suggesting is it isn't a wonderful life anymore for many people living in small town America. And you do indeed uh, refer to Frank Kappa's It's a Wonderful Life in reference to one particular small town in America. Do you remember that town? Uh, or I might okay. remind you. Hold on. Are you talking about Hannibal? Uh, no, hold on. Uh, it was uh, Dryden. 
Do you remember Dryden? Yes, I do. Well, you just caught me on something that I wasn't even thinking about, and I have all my little places ticked that I thought you would go to. See all my little flags I did for today? Oh, uh, very, very impressive. Well, you missed Dryden. And of course, uh, the, no, I don't no, know I who came up with the word Dryden because presumably it's becoming quite dry. Yes. Well, many, many of the communities we talk about in the book are. And here, look, here's where I come from. And the you don't have to be a scientist or academic or a PhD or have a master's degree. Listen, I went through this my whole life and was always labeled or judged or perceived because I had an imagination or this or that, or I'm a dyslexic or this or that. Nobody likes to be boxed in. When I got out to Hinkley, they saw and knew <clears throat> what was going on, the power of observation, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, I recognized what they were going through. And even when I did my work in Hinkley, everyone's like, you know, well, you're not a doctor, a lawyer, a scientist, you didn't write a paper or this or that, You, what do you know? Oh, let's get serious, people. I don't have to be any of that to be human and to tell you that looking at a cattle farm that has 1,500 head of cattle and every cattle has 10,000 tumors on its body, right. or to see that the trees are dying, or to tell you that the two-headed frog or the green water is kind of effed up. And that's what I found quite depressing, actually, about the book, was that you go back <laughs> to Hinkley. Having watched the movie, I would have assumed that Hinkley now would be a, a green paradise, but it's actually completely wrecked. So whilst you did a lot of good work there, that's of course the, the small town outside LA, mm -hmm. which is both the fictional and the non-fictional piece in the narrative in, in your first work, these small small town America is essentially being wrecked. It's like Dryden, uh, the, the town it, that inspired It's a Wonderful Life. Small town America is being wrecked by this it's water crisis. It's being wrecked by the water crisis and it's being forgotten about. And, you know, even like in Martin, Kentucky, uh, down in uh, uh, deep down in Kentucky, uh, they're being forgotten about. Uh, people don't realize, you know, we do have places in America where they aren't getting running water. I mean, let me tell you, it's happening right now in Iowa. And I, I just had a group of people call me. Their aquifers contaminated with PFAS. So their wells have been condemned but they're not allowed to drill new wells. I says, let me get this straight. Iowa, America, 2020, aquifer so polluted, wells are condemned and you can't drill new ones. Is anyone getting you a source of water? And the answer is no. So it is a problem and whether we're not talking about it or we don't wanna see it, it's slowly creeping in everybody's backyard. You know, shit rolls downhill if you will. And when it gets there, all of a sudden it's a big issue for you. When I began my work in Hinkley, I really thought that was a one-off. I had no idea that I would be here today, 30 years into the future from when I began my work, 20 years since that film came out, not only talking about Hinkley still, but that Hinkleys exist in every single state within the US. How is it that this has gotten by us with no talk about it, no plans, no preparations, or just thinking that it's some magical illusional fairy tale that that's going to happen well speaking of magical illusional fairy tales the original one of course was from your home state kansas wizard of mm -hmm. oz and 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 one of the wonderful things you do in the book is suggest that the, the wizard of oz represents a, a metaphor and a signpost for not only uh 
where we've been, but where we're going. What is it about Wizard of Oz, Erin, that explains our current predicament? So there's a very fascinating political allegory. You can look it up on Google, and it's actually been studied by scholars and those real smart ones um, that there is a political allegory. And we're in it today. I've been fascinated with for years, and I'll, I'll try to tell you as quickly as I can. You can go look it up yourself. You can also get the book, which I know we'll talk about. But I was born and raised in Lawrence, Kansas. And first of all, let me say that my father is the one that taught me about water. And he used to sing me songs, watch the water trickling down the stream, enjoy it today, for someday it might not be seen. Your father taught you a lot. He also taught you not to lie. <laughs> he did tell me, yeah, and I lied. That's why, and I tried to get out of it and I got caught lying. But, you know, my dad was, you know, the old school that way about integrity and honor and respect and that the greatest gifts we all have is our water, our land, our family, and our health. And these are the one things that none of us are going to be able to live without. So I grew up in an environment uh, that was about water and the land and family and respect. And that's been so eroded over time. And I think this is where we find ourselves in a mess. And sometimes it helps me to look back on the things that kept me going. And The Wizard of Oz, I watched all the time as a little girl from Kansas. And I always thought I could be Dorothy going out on that journey and a self-discovery and finding my life. I was terrified of the Wicked Witch. And I was just fascinated with the story as a whole until I read the book written by L. Frank Baum. And it's what created the film. And in the book, L. Frank Baum teaches through a children's fairy tale. And he wanted his children to learn at the pre-height of the Industrial Revolution as a way to think and act for themselves in a world that would increasingly begin to do that for them. That makes me think, huh? That sounds familiar. Have we or are we not thinking and acting always for ourselves and just following what it is we think we're supposed to be doing? Because individualism is amazing. And so there's a political allegory and a meaning to the characters. Dorothy is every girl next door. And I think we all relate to that that want to strike out in life and, and be on our journey and, and be the, the woman we want to become. And as you know, in the, the movie, she, she goes off and of course a twister comes. And in the book, the twister and in the political allegory, the meaning of it is disruption in Washington, DC, which I find interesting because I think there's a lot of disruption going on over there right now. And she bumps into the um, Tin Man. The Tin Man is a representation of industry worker who's lost his heart. Sound familiar? And then the scarecrow is the farmer. And the reason no one thought he had any brain is because at that time then, the banks were buying up all the land. And it makes me think and look what's happening with our farmers today and why they think they have no brain. And then the cowardly lion is a representation of L. Frank Baum's best friend, William Bryan's Jenning, who was always running for president, had a lot of fiery rhetoric, but had no courage. And that certainly makes me think about what's going on today. So... Here she meets these people and she's landed on the munchkins who are a representation of the citizens who are frustrated and they send her to go find the wizard. And the wizard is a representation of 
any authority or possibly sitting president that's going to have the answers and fix everything for us. Of course, we know on that journey, they meet the wicked witch and she puts them to sleep in the poppy fields because they don't need to know the truth and she's going to stop them. And it makes me think over these decades, is it possible? Did we get comfortable? Did we get complacent? Did we buy an illusion? Was it a false illusion? And are we waking up? Because I think that we are, and I think that we're all watching that happen. But the moral of the story at the end is when they get there and they pull back the curtain, and I actually think we're in a moment where we're being able to pull back the curtain. They say that that idea of a wizard is somebody else that doesn't have all the answers either. Not but Superman, they, right? So Superman correct. isn't going to arrive, uh, speak, speaking in, in, in Hollywood stereotypes. Erin, as I suggested, um, Last month, we had this wonderful young woman, Hannah Tester. I don't know if you know her, but she's a kind of teenage version of you or what you were once like. She's taking on the plastics industry. And in, yes. her, small, in her short book, she comes up with what she calls the, the, the five R's. Refuse, reuse, reduce, recycle, raise awareness. Mm -hmm. yes. Is that, are, are Hannah's five R's, mm -hmm. are they basically shared by you? Is that the core strategy in fighting not just the plastics crisis, but our water crisis generally? Well, what is going to be required um, and uh, at the end of The Wizard of Oz is they were reminded that they have a heart, they have a courage, and they have a brain. And I think that there is a lot of emotion and sociology and psychology all wrapped up in we as humans that we often don't understand. And to my original point, <clears throat> you don't have to have all these degrees and do not think that I'm poo-pooing education because that is the last thing that I am doing. But that oftentimes not everybody gets that privilege or it's not that easy for everybody. We all think differently. And uh, I grew up with a learning disability and it can be difficult. But that if you can find that gumption, that courage, that, that voice, that belief in yourself and, and do it with heart and, and take it upon yourself to do your research and formulate your opinion and what you're going to get behind. That's what it takes. And I think that's what she's saying. I talk to people about logic, leverage, loyalty, and love. What is logic? It's your common sense. So that's the four, the four L's, right? The Rather than the five L's. L's. Four and L's versus the five R's. Correct. And leverage is joining the collective. You know, I don't sit here and could I never, I can't take any source of individual, just I alone uncovered Hinckley. It was a collective that was on the same page. Yeah, but I I don't buy that, Erin, <laughs> uh, in the sense that the movie, you were remarkable. In person, you're even more remarkable. You know as well as I do that there aren't many Erin Brockoviches around. You you call for more disruptors. You, you cite uh, Elon Musk, for example, another very unusual character. Mm-hmm. Uh, just north of you, you're in LA. He's in uh, Silicon Valley, or I think yeah. he's in LA as well. Um, I think you're in Texas now, aren't they? Uh, I don't know where he is. I think he gave <laughs> up all his homes. He's become the Wizard of Oz. Um, <laughs> but the reality, yeah. but 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 in all seriousness, Aaron, the reality is not everyone can be you. Not everyone can be remarkable for one reason or another. And one of the tensions I found in the book was, on the one hand, your book is a, is, is a very inspiring, passionate call to arms. 
-hmm. And on the other hand, you recognize the importance of regulation and of the government. So in that context, I'm really interested in your take on the Green New Deal. There wasn't a lot about it in the book. Is that the answer or is that, again, another Wizard of Oz delusion or illusion? You know, I think that we have you have to strike a balance in everything you do. And nobody likes anything shoved down their throat, right? None of us do, no matter what side of the aisle you're on or any new Green Deal or not. I don't know that we need a lot more regulations. We need to enforce the good ones that we have on the books, that's for sure. But that but enforcement requires super women like you. Isn't that fair? Uh, to actually yeah. be enforced. That's the problem, is that we need more aggressive regulation to make sure that these no. companies, the Tyson Foods, the PG&Es actually do what they're told. But look at bringing up Tyson Foods. And we talk about the mothers of Tonganoxie, Kansas. They did not want Tyson manufacturing in their own backyard and mucking up their aquifer. They came to us. They got collective and strategic. They began to organize their community and they worked with their local government, city council. And by the way, they ran them out on a rail. Same thing happened in Hannibal, Missouri. Uh, same situations happened down in Martin County, Kentucky. The women who fight for chloramines. And this is a huge message of moms clearly on the rise, where I think we have a moment where the consumer will become the regulator. And you wow. can make a difference in your own backyard with your own city council and grow from there up. Just imagine if every one of us did that in every city council, in every county, in every state, you'd light something up and actually make a change. So regulations can be there for balance, but I'm very honest and I've been out on the ground for 20 years and I can tell you the system has been eroded and it has failed. We have failing infrastructures and we've got to get in there. And here's the thing with the Green New Deal. I'm not saying I'm against it or for it, but here you can't just wipe out everything and throw the baby out with the bathwater. This is where there's a reasonable side to Aaron that says, we need to build upon what we have to make it more sustainable moving into the future. We have to come in and reassess laws or policies that are antiquated that were designed for a society a hundred years ago that we aren't today and build upon that. And so if the Green New Deal at any moment scares me to come in and we're gonna wipe everything out and start over, I think is unrealistic and possibly would not happen. We have to be more realistic about our approach. And again, not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Otherwise we set ourselves up for further failure, if you ask me. So perhaps rather than the new the Green New Deal, we can learn from Dr. Seuss. You have <laughs> I think we can learn a lot of things from Dr. Seuss. So what what above all, uh Aaron, can we learn from Dr. Seuss? You have a wonderful quote in the book from Dr. Seuss. You know, again, this is why you know uh, my imagination runs wild and, and the greatest things that we do will come from that. But it's just it's it's simple messages it's everything i ever learned i learned in kindergarten so from the lorax you quote unless someone like you cares an all, a whole awful lot nothing is going to get better it's not and that's dr seuss and this and what i was going to say about that is you know dr seuss comes from a place of 
believing in yourself. Uh, everything I learned in kindergarten, you know, I've forgotten about, uh, goes back to my dad. Um, in some levels, it's kindness. It's believing in yourself and not letting the negativity of so many others stick on you like Velcro. And, and it's true. You know, my dad taught me, you want to get anything done? Do it yourself. So Kansas, <laughs> not Washington, D.C. Uh, let's end there in with some more down-to-earth concrete things because of course people can do stuff they can't be aaron brockovich they can't be elon musk they can't be sort of global disruptors but they can do some stuff to change their lives you have a list which you take from another group in the book 12 things we can do very briefly go through them what you think can be really influential in terms of people's lives ordinary people who don't have the time or the energy or the ability or the, the drive to do what you've done in your life? Well, if, if you really want to care about the environment, I'm looking at your top things here, you know, upgrade light bulbs. That's a change you can make. And believe it or not, I've done it here in my home. Hang dry your clothes. Uh, we definitely do that to save on energy, especially here in California. And you might know we have all the rolling blackouts or brownouts, whatever you want right. to call them. We had a, a brownout. We had night as day as you know in in the Bay Area a couple of months ago where it was dark all day and here's the thing it, it when i'm looking at this list is you don't have to do them all but make an effort to do one and and think of it this way it begins with you the the one idea to have a recycling program at home then you, you know a spouse may pick up on it or then a neighbor that comes by to say how i may pick up on it or then your kids and it may be important to the kids and then they share it with their kids and it spreads and germinates out from there, if you will. And to think that you started that, and it doesn't have to be saving the world. If you bring it back down to scale to just you and saving yourself and sharing those tools that you've learned along the way, or you hear from shows like yours and authors and other people or Elon Musk, um, be the best you. Don't strive to ever be a me or Elon Musk, be the best you. Find what you're passionate about and begin that in your home and spread it within your family and it spreads out from there. And in that way, you are making a very large collective change. But I think it will be up to every single one of us to give a damn and to no longer take the planet for granted. And we've taken and taken and taken and give a moment of any one thing that you could do that could ease the burden on this planet to have a more sustainable future. And if just one did it, and then every just one person in America did it, that'd be what, 348 million people? More up to- That's pretty good. So as uh, to, 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 to put it uh, to, to put it simpler, Aaron, Superman isn't coming. And it's so cool. what, you're here. Uh, right, so <laughs> Superman is not coming. That Superman in the images is, is not showing up, not gonna save us. The, there's not really a Hollywood ending in the traditional mm -hmm. sense. We've all become, if not Superman, we can all do something. And, and I think that's the core of the book. It's a, a wonderful book because it's, it's very Aaron Brockovich in terms of its drive and color and emotion, but it's also very practical. And also you, you're probably gonna scream at me when I say this, very erudite. You claim not to be educated. You claim to be <laughs> dyslexic and blah, blah, but you're actually much smarter than you want to admit. Um, and well, uh, Thank you for saying that, but I'll, I'll, sh I'll jump in here and share with you real quick. Um, because very early on in life, uh, that's what I was told. 
uh, because of my disability. And this is the biggest message of all. You have the power to choose for yourself who you're going to be. And my mom always taught me just because you're different or inferior, um, it doesn't mean you can't get some, something done. And just because someone else chooses to see you that way, you don't have to choose to see yourself that way. And that is my biggest message of all. Get behind yourself. I don't know if we've been waiting for Superman. Uh, I learned very early on, Prince Charming is not coming either, and neither Superman, but so what? Believe in yourself again. Get behind your decisions and your courage and your confidence and muster it up when you get out there and realize you can do it. It's contagious. You're going to want to do more. I worry that we have lost the hope and the belief in we, the people, and ourselves as individuals. So, uh, 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 Aaron, when I write my book, it's going to be Julia Roberts is not coming. Um, <laughs> finally, finally, uh, as I said, everyone should read your book. Uh, you're in L.A. in these weird times. We're all still stuck at home. What else should people be reading in addition to Superman is not coming? Well, I really I really want everyone to read it. And I pulled it out. And I don't know if anyone can see, you know, I, you can hold it up. The original Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum. It's a great read, but remember imagination and dreamers. It Honestly, it's the greatest thing to do. And I think he was visionary, uh, almost like Steven Soderbergh reminds me on the film, Aaron Brockovich, and here we are still talking about today. Um, there's an association with what happened at the pre-height of the industrial revolution that he was on to, told in the way of a children's fairy tale that we could all grab. And look at it and analyze it where we are today. Might be a great reminder for you. There is no wizard, but you're here. Find that courage. Know that you have a heart and brain. Take your frustrations and turn it into action. I always believe in we the people, and I still do, and I always will. But this, The Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum, is a fun read. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week. And thanks so much for listening.